This morning we are in 1 Peter chapter 2. I've got a surprise for you, a little bit of a gift. I'm only preaching two verses this morning. And uh, I know that's miraculous, but actually 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. We've been doing this series on uh, called Exiles. I really like this series. I think it's a timely series of messages. I think it's a timely book for us to look at as a church. And, uh, and here we begin to get to the part of Peter's letter where he gets really practical. He really begins to put uh, the, the rubber to the road. He begins to apply a lot of theology he's actually been talking about and get really specific. So let me read these two verses to you and listen to them closely. Like all scripture, it's just packed with truth. We could talk about these two verses for a while. Uh, But we'll keep it short today. But verses 11 and 12, here's what he says. Beloved, love that word, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God On the day of visitation. Here's what we know is happening. And what's been happening since the fall of Adam and Eve. The world is under siege. We live in a world that is under attack. On on every possible uh, category of life. And we became exiles when God came into our life. And he called us to belong to him and to move forward believing that we're going to live with him forever and ever. And the moment he called us out of darkness into light, the moment he called us to belong to Jesus Christ, guess what? We became exiles because this is no longer our home. We are on our way to home. We are traveling through this world. Uh, I I like that idea that we're kind of behind, we're kind of in enemy territory right now. Amen? Amen. But one day we will be in a new heavens and a new earth. So we're just traveling through. We are exiles, belonging somewhere where our citizenship is not here. But as we travel through, we are not traveling through as tourists. Like we're not just like, well, it's kind of bad, and it's kind of fallen, and so I'm just going to kind of, kind of bend down, enjoy the parts I can enjoy, ignore the bad parts, and just kind of get through it, and then I'll go to heaven, and then it'll be all good. No, we are called to proclaim, we looked at it last week, didn't we? We are called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. Now, here's what I believe. Number one, I believe that you and I can live a victorious life in Jesus Christ in a defeated world. That it is possible to follow Jesus, to be light in darkness... To be a part of the solution, not, a pro- not the problem, and to be light in darkness. And the other thing I believe is, is that no matter how bad it gets, God has given us all the resources we need so that we can continue to walk in holiness and to follow him in every category of our life. I believe that. And we are reminded in the New Testament, you are not to love the world. In fact, 1 John chapter says this in verse 15 he says here it is exiles do not love the world or the things in the world 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And ultimately, what we are called to do and what we're going to look at once again today, and we're going to kind of begin to really look at this in very practical terms moving forward through this series. But the big thing we're talking about is that we must live in the world without the world living in us. That's what we're called to do as exiles. The other day I sent a message. I don't know how many of y'all do this when you send out an email and sometimes, you know, the, the, the spell check gets what you're trying to say wrong. How many of that, you, that's happened to you? I sent out an email the other day and the spell, I, I meant to say QuickBooks, and the spell check changed it to Quick Oil. And I didn't know it, and I was typing really fast, like I tend to do, and I was just like, you know, because that's how I type it. You know, I'm, in my, I'm just work, I'm working for you, baby. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know what I mean? And I push send. And as soon as I sent it and I looked at it, I kind of reviewed it after I sent, which don't do that, right? <laughs> Review before you send. And I saw that. It didn't say QuickBooks. It said Quick Oil. And I went, oh, my gosh. And so I was like, they're going to think I'm dumb. So I sent another email. I was like, didn't mean Quick Oil, meant QuickBooks. The reply back was, oh, I thought it was an Oklahoma thing, like, you know, snake oil, you know, like... My reply back was, you can take the boy out of Oklahoma, but you can't take the Oklahoma out of the boy, right? And what the Bible tells us to do, listen, what we get to do is we get to live in the world, but we got to make sure the world is not living in us. You say, man, what's, what's the ultimate key to that happening? I mean, what's the ultimate stuff that kind of makes sure that, that I'm not letting the world live in me as I live in the world? And I, I will say that the ultimate key is knowing that you're loved by God. I love that Peter says, you, you see his plea here. He says, beloved, I urge you. I read a commentary recently on, on this very passage and says, this word, beloved, it's no longer a word that anybody uses anymore. It's very archaic and old. And I was like, you haven't come to Crosspoint because I use that word all the time, don't I? Beloved, I love saying it. It just makes me feel official. You know what I'm saying? Beloved, we are gathered here to get through this thing called life, right? But here's why I use that word. Because of the meaning of the word. It's a very powerful word. In fact, your NIV says, dear friends, which does not capture it at all. The word beloved means loved by God. Do you know that Peter, in five chapters in this letter, he brings up the love of God eight times. Now, his emphasis of the letter is our holiness, our holy conduct, our following Jesus, our getting it right, our living in the world without the world living in us. But he always grounds it in, do you know that you're loved by God? We can never forget that the fuel and the ultimate resource for a transformed life is never religion or even duty. The ultimate thing is abiding in, receiving in, confessing in, and remembering that God loves us. And you know what I do when I realize that people love me? I want to be around them, don't you? I mean, when I was growing up, man, I mean, you know, I found the crowd that, that I felt like loved me. I get around those people. They, if I felt like they accepted me, I'd be like, I'm in with you people. What kind of shoes are you wearing? What kind of shirts are you wearing? What kind of hair are you wearing? Oh, you want a mullet? Oh, 
Maul it, I'll put it back in a ponytail. I told my girls, I have four daughters. I, I see how God was preparing me. I had a big, long mullet, and I put it in a ponytail. So my girls are like, how are you so good at ponytails? I was like, I had one at one point in time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it worked out. But why? Why, do I, why did I follow the rules of the crowd? Because I knew I was loved. And you know, when I start getting defeated and I begin to walk outside the lines that God wants, boundaries for lines I want, it's not because I'm not religious enough. It's not because I haven't had enough liturgy or church or whatever. It's because in my identity, I begin to forget that I am deeply loved in a real way by God in heaven. God has loved me. I never have to question that. I never have to wonder about that. I never have to guess about that. I don't even need you to tell me about that. God told me through the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, who dwelt among us and fulfilled righteousness, who died in our place, who shed his blood, who gave his blood. He reminds me and tells me the great word that God loves me even when I didn't deserve to be loved. Man, when I'm walking in that environment, man, when I'm putting that fuel in my tank, when I'm, when I'm putting that in my mind, when I'm putting that in my heart, when I'm confessing that, I begin to have energy and motivation. Hey, God, what kind of shirt do you want me to wear? Hey, God, what kind of, what kind of shoes do you want me to be walking around in? Hey, God, what kind of words do you say? Because I want to say the words you say. I want to see the world the way you see the world. Because I've seen and I have confessed and I have worshipped you because you have loved me mightily in Jesus Christ. Beloved, I urge you, Peter is saying, beloved, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. It's in the love of God that we find power to live in the world without the world living in us. You know, when God's love is living in us, there's no room for the world to live in us. Can I get an amen? Man, I am preaching in this nine o'clock service. That fog digged me some good. You see, when God's love comes in, sin has to go out. And I never want you to think at Cross Point, never, as we begin to get into holy conduct, we're going to start talking about, we're in the threshold of this letter where he's going to get specific about our relationship to government, our relationship in marriage, our relationship uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, elders and elders' relationship to the church. He's going to start talking about our relationship to the workplace and our bosses. He's going to get real practical. This is how Christians live in a fallen world. This is how we follow Jesus. But I never want you to think that your acceptance by God comes down to that. Your acceptance by God comes down to his love for you. You are beloved if you have Christ in your life. So you say, okay, I want to live in the world without the world living in me. And so there's two things he tells us to do once we're identified with this love. Once we realize we're loved by God and exiles in the love of God, he tells us to do two things. One kind of a negative command and the other kind of a positive command. But the first thing we do to live in the world without the world living in us is we abstain, he says, from the passions of the flesh. That word... Abstain means to avoid, keep away from, flee, he would say later in the letter. Flee the devil, he says. Here he's saying flee from the passions of the flesh. 
Now, let me teach you a little bit. That word flesh, it doesn't mean like my flesh, my body, you know, like I've got flesh and blood. What he means when he says flesh, especially in the New Testament, anytime you read that, most of the time, what it's going to be referring to is that part of our soul and spirit that's in rebellion against God, our flesh. There's a part of humanity that is in rebellion against God. And that part of us that's against God in our heart and our mind is producing desires that are sinful desires. And we don't have to guess about the desires of the flesh or what the flesh does. In fact, Galatians gives us an excellent, outstanding list of the works of the flesh. In fact, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 and following, here's what we call a vice list in the New Testament. Paul says this, now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see here that the outward manifestation of the flesh is all of those kind of vices. The sexual immorality and the jealousy and the strife and all of it. And Some of the works of the flesh are issues of our mind. Some of the issues of the, of the flesh is very relational, like jealousy. Uh, 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 that word jealousy is really interesting because it, it not only means I want what you have, but sometimes I don't want you to have good things, right? So there's lots of relational anger, right? That's a work of the flesh. Obviously, we think works of the flesh, it's there's sins of the mind, of relationship in the heart and the body, sexual immorality, impurity, all of those things that you associate. So mind and heart and body, and there's all these issues of the flesh now. When you apply that and you take that list and you go back to 1 Peter and you see what he's saying, rooted in the love of God, he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. That means desires. That means feelings. And what Peter's doing is very radical and it's very practical and it's very helpful because what he's saying is, don't wait For those desires to work themselves out into outward sin. What I want you to do as followers and as exiles living in the world without the world living in you. What I want you to do is to identify the desire for those things. And to evict them before they manifest themselves in fits of anger. In sexual immorality. New Testament anthropology, that is the study of man, says this. Sin does not begin in the actions. It begins in the desires. And therefore, when it comes up, when we have sinful desires, which you cannot avoid, they will happen. They will happen today. They will happen tomorrow. There's no way for perfect sanctification. There's no way we can totally eradicate sinful desires. So the question is not getting rid of them. The question is, will we entertain sinful desires or will we evict them once we acknowledge them? See, that's, that's the key. He's saying, get rid of the desires. Because if you don't get rid of the desires and they begin to manifest themselves in your life, then you will die. In fact, I was thinking about the book of James. 
Listen to what James says about this similar idea. And listen to what he says about kind of the life development process of sin in our life. He says in James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now watch this. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. It starts with a desire, a thought, an idea. And that factory, that flesh factory that's producing idolatry in our hearts and our minds, it's producing ideas. And what we have to do is acknowledge that, that part of us that's in rebellion against God and be vigilant as Peter said earlier, be sober-minded and acknowledge it and admit it and bring it to the light and evict it. Don't entertain sinful desires. Because you know what we think? We think, well, it's not going to hurt anybody for me to kind of cultivate this a little bit. I'll have anger in my heart, but I I won't show it. I'll act like I'm not angry, and I'll just kind of hide it and put it away. Or I'll have an impure thought, and I'll kind of entertain it and cultivate it, but I won't let anybody know. It'll It'll be kept secret. We think we can master it. We think we can overcome it. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. As soon as you see it, you are in danger zone. In fact, he says that these sinful passions are waging war against our soul. That is, the the word for war there is a word that's used for a military campaign. There's a fight going on in you. And Peter's like, you got to get some attitude and fight back against you. What is it? Uh. D.L. Moody said, what was it he said? He said, D.L. Moody says, the greatest enemy I have is D.L. Moody. In fact, D.L. Moody is the greatest problem I have over and against every other man. I have found the enemy. I have found the enemy, and the enemy is me. It ain't her, it ain't him, it ain't them. There's no conspiracy happening here. The greatest enemy I have is me. And what Peter is saying is you got to find that part of you that's worn against yourself. And you got to fight back. I was thinking about, it's so tragic, I, I don't even want to bring it up. But, you know, one of the reasons why we're doing this series is just to get honest, man. And, and not to play church anymore. We're living in a world under siege, and we can pretend like it's not under siege, and we can hide behind our homes or whatever and act like we're beyond it all, but here's the facts. The facts are there was a website called Ashley Madison. The motto of this website is, life is short, have an affair. This website got hacked. You know how many people are a part of this website? 32 million people. Not a state in the union is exempt from people associating. Every kind of person you can think of has signed up for this secret life. Preachers, policemen, politicians, plumbers, housewives, husbands, wives, trying to secretly have an affair. And here's what's interesting. I read an article in uh, Christianity Today... And it said that most, a lot of the people who sign up for it never actually follow through with the affair. But they're living a fantasy desire. 
This morning, on Sunday morning, across our country in churches right now, there are pastors resigning from their jobs. They're, they're estimating that 400 pastors will be resigning this Sunday right now as I'm preaching. It's a scandal. Is this a scandal? It's a scandal on the gospel. It's a scandal, and it shows us that we're, none of us are exempt from these sinful desires. It's a wake-up call. And you know what? We can play church all we want, and we can, we can act like everything's fine. But, you know, church is about coming and saying, I am broken. I've got desires. I need to admit them and bring them to the light because I don't want it to destroy my life. Marriages are destroyed. Ministries are destroyed. Professions are destroyed. People are destroyed all over because it's a military campaign. It's a war of intense fury. And what you and I got to do is we got to say, hey, man, I am a sinful person. That's why I'm coming to Jesus. That's why I'm coming to the gospel. That's why I'm coming to the cross. I'm coming to the cross to remind myself that God is love. I am sinful, and God wants me to escape and be liberated from it. And so there's several things that the New Testament tells us to do. You say, okay, that's, that's what I need to do. I'm in. I am motivated. Peter's motivated me. The Holy Spirit's motivating me. What do I do? In the New Testament, let me give you kind of the A, B, C, D of abstaining from the passions of the flesh. Number one, admit. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. Admit. I'm weak too. I, I've got to bring, I had to bring my heart before God and get real before God. The second thing is believe that that's what Jesus died for. He died on the cross so I could be delivered from these passions that are waging war against me. Number three, or C, I'm kind of, letters, numbers, whatever. Admit, believe, see, confess. In fact, John, 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and following. Man, there is no other spiritual message in the world that tells us to admit that we, we just are sinful. And it says here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and following, But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There's the admitting it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not talking to unbelievers there. He's talking to the church. We are to live a life of confession. Christian life is not recreational. It's confessional. And he says, when you do, Jesus, Jesus will help you. He'll give you the resources. Every day as we confess, he's going to empower us to grow and, and to get over those things that are waging war against us. Listen, admit, believe Jesus died for it, confess. Here's the third or fourth D. Whatever. I'm a communicator. Whatever. Determine. Determine the level of your bondage. Listen to me, beloved. And this is where I want to get real sensitive and real pastoral, but can I just say to you, some of us, some of you might be in bondage beyond just your regular kind of getting alone with Jesus. You need to talk to somebody, a counselor. That war, you're losing it in a big way. And you're in bondage in some way, whether it's addiction, 
whether it's anger issues, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornography, whether whatever it is, determine your level of need and go get the help. Bring it to the light and somebody in confidence. Go to a counselor. Go to a treatment center, man. Come talk to a pastor and, and a pastor will lead you to the right resources that you need. But don't stay in the darkness. Bring it to the light. It's okay. God's got a plan for you. God's got a second start for you. God's got a a, a new beginning starting line for you to run a new race, but you've got to come to the light because if you keep it concealed, if you stay in the darkness, you will be defeated. And your soul and your spirit will be destroyed. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Admit, believe, confess, determine your level. But let us not fool ourselves. Our world is under siege and our soul is under siege. And if we're going to be exiles following Jesus in a fallen world, if we're going to live victorious lives without being defeated like a defeated world, then that's what we're going to have to do right there. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. The second thing he says, he kind of goes in the opposite direction, but same theme. On the one hand, we're abstaining from passions of the flesh. But number two, he says, keep your conduct honorable. Not only are we to evict sinful desires, but we're to add to our life. We're to add positive things. What shoes, God? What shirt? What what life? What words? What what things do I need to add? Where's my conduct? We've talked about that word conduct before in this very study on 1 Peter. It means patterns. What pattern of life is honorable? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers. This is interesting. Because our world, see, here's what the world's going to do. This is what the world's always done to Christians. It's going to say, you know, you're, you're one way to God stuff. And in this world, in the Roman world, this is the time of Nero and the neurotic uh, per- persecution, right? And one of the things that uh, Christians were accused of was being atheists because they didn't believe in all the gods, but they believed in one God. They didn't call Caesar Lord. They called Jesus alone Lord. Right? And that's what they did. And so what Roman people and Gentile people tended to do with Christians is say, you guys are evil because of what you believe. It was kind of like, let me tell you something. You know what it was? It was a tolerant worldview. And the only intolerance that was communicated in this culture was against Christianity. It's kind of, sounds, does that sound similar? Right? Well, we all need to be tolerant of all beliefs. But you Christians, uh, we don't like you. Right? Right, that's what happens. And you're evildoers. You're, you're bigoted and you're evil and you have absolutes and you believe in truth and there's a way you think about marriage and sex and there's a way that you think about it. It's so odd, it's so strange. What is wrong with you? Or you're so archaic. You're so old-fashioned. See, you're evildoers. But what Peter's saying is that to combat that kind of culture is not to say, hey, hey, stop calling us evil. Stop talking about taking away our tax-exempt status. I mean, the way to respond to a culture is not to act like spoiled brats. Can I be frank with you? The way to respond to that is to show a transformed life. He's saying, man, there's nothing that is a better argument for Christianity than a transformed life 
Keep your conduct honorable. So I like what he's saying here because he's saying, listen, you need to get rid of the passion, the, 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 the desires of passion, passions of the flesh in your own heart for your own sake so that you'll be okay. But you need to add outward conduct for the sake of people around you. Uh, there is a, um, a quote by William Barclay in his commentary on this. He said uh, this, he said, uh, and he's dead, he's, I, I believe he's with the Lord, I hope he is, his quote is good, uh, <laughs> I think he's in heaven, uh, but he said this in his commentary, he said, quote, here then is the great timeless truth, the best argument for Christianity is a real Christian. Mm. And therefore, whether we like it or not, every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. By his life or her life, he or she either commends Christianity to others or he makes others think less of Christianity. The strongest missionary force in the world is a Christian life. That is exactly what Peter is saying. He is saying, listen, keep your conduct among, he calls them Gentiles. He's a Jewish guy talking to a church of Jews and Gentiles who are believers in Christ. But Gentiles here would be a synonym for unbelievers, no question about it. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And let me talk about that phrase, the day of visitation. For the longest time, I believe that that was talking about the day of judgment. So Jesus will come back and judge the living and the dead, right? And the wicked and the righteous. And Jesus said, I'm going to separate the shaft from the wheat and the goats from the sheep and all that. That's what he said. Uh, but here in the Greek, I don't believe it's talking about the day of Jesus coming back in judgment. I believe he's talking about the day of the salvation of those who see Christians and one day Jesus will visit them with his grace they will be saved and then they will look back and go thank you for being a witness to the gospel and who you were in Christ because it doesn't in the Greek it doesn't use a definite article it doesn't say the day of visitation it really is it could be translated a day of visitation and in the Old Testament visitation was used to describe God coming and liberating Israel Furthermore, the word glorify, when it says glorify God, the word glorify in the New Testament is used 61 times. And it's never used for unbelievers being forced to praise God. It's always used for believers who praise God for their salvation or what he's done for them. So check me out. Listen, here's what Peter's saying. If you keep your conduct honorable, if you have a transformed life, if, if you are expressing what following Jesus looks like, People, God will use that as a missionary force in their life, and they will ultimately, they will wake up, and they're going to come to Christ, and then they're going to look at you and say, you were part of the reason. You were the thing that made a difference in the way I think about God because of your transformed life. Thank you. Isn't that powerful? You know, not all of us are called to be evangelists, or to, not, not all of us are spiritually gifted to use words. Some of us are, and we need to use words when we, when we can. We should use words to witness to other people. But not all of us have that spiritual gift. Not all of us talk too much. Sorry. <laughs> or are loud mouths. Or extroverted or all of those things. But you know what? All of us have experienced Christ. We have Christ. 
and we can all live a transformed life by his grace. Amen. Powerful thing happened on Christmas Eve, 1914. The Great War, World War I, had been going on for five months. You know how many people died, how many soldiers died in those first five months of that war? 160,000 British soldiers, 300,000 French soldiers, and 300,000 German soldiers in the first five months. That war decimated a whole generation before it even got started. But on Christmas Eve, without any kind of prompting or order, out of a total spontaneous expression... In no man's land, in the trenches, soldiers on both sides started singing hymns. All of them together at the same time. And they all started singing hymns and praising Jesus and singing their Christmas carols. And at night, in that darkness, with devastation all around, they were praising. And the soldiers began to come out of their trenches and they began to come together in no man's land together. And they shared coffee and food and they sang silent night and they gave each other hugs and for one moment in one of the worst wars of all time there was peace and there was song and it lasted for the rest of Christmas day and you know when I when I think about that story and I think you and I We are in a world that is no man's land, amen? There is devastation all around us. The fatalities that are happening are crazy. And what Peter is saying is that our job as exiles is to be the ones that start the hymn, that sing the song, that express a time of peace and that come up out of our trenches and and journey out into no man's land in praise of God. And the way we do that is by being transformed people. So what is the secret to living that kind of life and that that kind of experience? You know what? It comes back to when you, let me just one more word and then we'll be done. When you come back to chapter 2 and verse 12, now watch this. I want you to see this. Here's the peace in the midst of the storm. When he says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Everybody say good. And the Greek word there is kale. There's two words in Greek for good. There's agathos, which means like, like moral goodness. Like, like you followed the rules. You know what I mean? Like today... I followed the rules, therefore I had agathos goodness. But kale means beautiful. A type of goodness that's rooted in beauty. Jesus used the same word in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16. Oh, let me read it to you real quick, just real quick. Let me find it real quick. Talk amongst yourselves. I do know where Matthew is. Praise God, seminary. Okay. 
Matthew 5, verse 16, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that when they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Peter was paying attention when Jesus said that. And when Jesus said good works, he talked about kale, good works, beautiful good works. And what we say at Crosspoint is there is such a thing as bad good works, and there is such a thing as good good works. Bad good works is under compulsion of forced to follow the rules. It's me coming to Sherry saying, happy anniversary, thanks. But good, good works is when I bring flowers and I say, out of love for you, I'm so glad that we got married and you are beautiful and here's a poem, right? And you say, what's the difference? Calais, good works means it's rooted in relationship to Jesus and God. It's rooted in in, in. In talking to him and receiving his love, it's a relational goodness. It's motivated and flows out of surrendering to him. I'm not saying that we have to think about our good works and go, is that bad good works or good good works? I mean, do good works, amen? I mean, be good. But you know what? Here's what Peter's saying. We need to seek Christ in relationship and in worship and let good works flow out of the beauty of that relationship. There is a difference. And people know the difference. They know authentic relationship with God, right? That means that we surrender to him. And for some of you, maybe you've never met God or you don't know what Christianity is. Christianity is a correct response to Jesus Christ. It is responding to him and saying, he died for me, he defeated death. And through him and through union in him, by faith in him, you're adopted into the family of God. And the question for you is, do you know Christ? cross that line of faith and for the rest of us let us follow him and ask him to give us that kind of quality of good works kale good works where we come up out of the trenches and we are the hymn we are the spontaneous one that begins the hymn in a world of darkness we're bringing the candle and the lights and the and the beauty of god to such an ugly world let us be those kind of that's what it means to be in exile Let us live in the world without the world living in us. Abstain from passions of the flesh. Keep your conduct honorable, but it's all rooted through relationship with Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are good, and therefore our goodness is rooted in a hope in a hope that you will be good in us and through us. And we come to you. We don't become sinful because we sin. We're we're sinful and therefore we struggle and we're tempted and we have desires that are antithetical to your kingdom and who you are and who you've made us to be. So we come to you and we admit our brokenness. We believe that you sent your son Jesus, not because we were good, but because we needed forgiveness. And Jesus in his death provided it. We confess, each one of us, we come to you, we confess that there are particular things that we're really struggling with. And we're asking you, as we confess those things, to cleanse us and to help us to move beyond them and to grow We're determining our level of need, and so give us wisdom as we move forward. And ultimately, let us be the advertisement for your glory 
give us that measure of grace that will make us the ones that shine your light, that are different, um, that, that sing the song in the midst of a war. And God, we just, we thank you um, that this world is temporary. We thank you that you're giving us a promise of a new world. And so everything in our life prepares for that and help us to prepare other people. If you don't know Jesus Christ, let me be an evangelist real quick and just say, it crossed the line of faith. Hear God calling you home. Say, man, I, I believe. I, I want to, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe God's love has reached me. And just turn away from darkness and turn to Christ. And you, you don't have to say the words exactly right. Just call out to the name of Christ and, and believe he died and rose again. And he will receive you and adopt you into the family of the Father. You'll belong to our family and you will be in exile. And if you do that, let somebody know. Fill out a contact card. As silly as it sounds, let me know or, or, or somebody here in the church or another Christian friend who's been witnessing to you. Let them know so you can know what the next steps forward are. Do that today. Let's stand and worship our good God in this time of war. Amen. Mm-hmm.